all the time, just in everyday life. Because um, there's something to sitting down and having like a family devotion or something, but there's something in just taking those times when um, you can just share that bit of knowledge with them or, um, you know, how how they can live it out in a godly way. Or, you know, that looks different when they're little. <laughs> but then, um, you know, continuing to make a habit of that um, as they grow older. Um, is really valuable, that has, at least to us. Um, also, this is some wisdom uh, from my mother. Um, my mom was never afraid to talk to us about stuff, um, even if it was awkward or um, hard or, um, you know, she knew I we wouldn't look favorably on it. Um, she was never afraid if God was telling her to talk to us about something. She never shied away from that. And that's something that I've learned um, to do with with my kids. And, um, <clears throat> you know, yeah, sometimes you have to wait for the right time and in the right way, depending on the kid. But um, to always make sure, I always want to make sure that if God's asking me to tell them something, that I'm faithful to that. I guess uh, we all know in talking about our children how each one is so unique um, and gifted by God in so many different ways. And I, I suppose for me, one of the biggest things is um, family has been such a huge support in that because uh, especially in some of the times when the kids are having a difficult time, having other family members that actually have walked some of those roads, I've found it to be really helpful that, um, you know, like when, when my brother was my son's teacher, you know, back in the day, I, you know, he was having an issue in that class and, and he, rather than criticizing Jake at the time, that was the one, um, he kind of put a positive spin on it and helped me kind of see that, you know, just learning, you know, how, how I can, just see what gift each child has and that it may not be the way that I want that situation to go or how that lays out that, um, you know, God has helped um, bless my children by having such a big extended family that actually can help show me as a parent what my children, um, who they are and what they have to offer. And I guess as a, a word of advice, I would say just as a parent to listen to the, you know, the other family members because they sometimes will see things in our children that actually can give us a lot of wisdom and how to help nurture them and help them grow into the best uh, person that God would have them be. Awesome, awesome. All right, Ann Perry. Hi, Anne. Hi. Thank you for having me. <laughs> You're welcome. So uh, if you would speak into the mic so everybody, particularly at home, can hear you, but also here with us. Anne, how old are you now? I forgot. You forgot? <laughs> uh, early 90s. Early 90s, yeah. So you've lived a lot of years, a lot of, a lot of decades. What, uh, what has God been teaching you later in life? Put that back in. 
it's a kind of a good thing because in later life you understand things better, and especially when the Lord's talking to you. I am so grateful that I knew the Lord since I was born, just about. And I have to credit my parents for uh, helping me to uh, always remember going to church, always remember to pray, and to help others. I know I'm very grateful for this church and our leaders, and I hope that you are too. And do you invite your friends to come? Uh, Pastor wants to know what I learned later in life. It's a lot. <laughs> Patience is number one. Trying to help others, number two. There's a multitude of reasons why I appreciate life so much more at this age. And I'm so grateful that I'm still here because I've had multiple illnesses, which pastor wants me to talk about. <laughs> I have no after, after effects from those illnesses because the Lord was always there helping me. I hope that when you have an illness that you do thank the Lord for helping you get through serious illnesses, all kinds of weaknesses. One thing that I survived, a lot of people don't because they don't get it, is brain surgery. I didn't know what was happening to me when I kept having convulsions. My poor husband didn't know what was happening to me either. <laughs> it was about the size of an egg. And finally, I went to UCLA Medical Center in Los Angeles for a diagnosis. It's a wonderful school. One morning I woke up, there were 19 students around my bed taking notes. <laughs> <laughs> and um, what they found was uh, a tumor while I was having convulsions the size of an egg. And they performed surgery on me. I prayed to the Lord to spare my life. I had my wonderful husband. I had two children. And he did spare my life. And it's been many years now. I have no after effects from what happened to me. And I know that some of the things that happened to me were lessons that the Lord wanted me to have. And one of the lessons is patience. I hope that you're grateful for the church that you go to. And I hope you invite your friends because this is one of the best churches in this town. I feel very comfortable here. Uh, I was born in Chicago, and uh, that's where I met my wonderful husband, who's with the Lord today. And because of his work um, with Department of Fish and Game, we had to go down to Imperial Valley for a spell. And then another place we went to was a fish hatchery. Oh my goodness, he taught me so much about nature. <laughs> and um, 
then he wanted to come up north, and I really never wanted to come up here because I knew um, it was different kind of weather. And um, I, I survive no matter where I go because you have the Lord to walk with you and to talk with you. I pretty much have known the Lord my whole life. I had a, a short Catholic background, and I learned a lot from that, too. And when I went started going to church with my husband in a Protestant Presbyterian church, when we were singing the songs, I was actually crying. It was just the Lord was telling me something, and I felt comfortable, and I've been in the Protestant church ever since. And um, now I'm up north here, and I've met wonderful, wonderful friends who have helped me get through all kinds of ordeals. My pastor wants me to talk about losing Bob and two daughters. Bob died suddenly. He was mowing the lawn. He came in the garage to sit down for a few minutes. I saw his head was back, and I just thought he was snoozing. But the angels came down from heaven and took him up to see the Lord. Well, it's been a while now, and I have, I have survived, but it's been hard. And then daughter number one was in a car accident. And the Lord came and got her, too. She was 19, going to college. Wonderful memories of her. You learn from your children. And then not too long after that, Lori got brain cancer. And the angels came and got her. So I am kind of short of my relatives. But I, you know who I have, and some of you know him. And it's kind of hard to deal with sometimes, <laughs> Jim. <laughs> uh, but uh, he's taught me a lot too. What did you learn through those through those losses? Well, patience for one, <clears throat> and to get through ordeals. And you can't get through ordeals without the Lord. I talk to him a lot. And I know he always takes care of me. I survived the brain tumor. I survived hepatitis, which I got because somebody gave blood that didn't say that they had hepatitis. And without the Lord, I can't survive anything. I talk to him every day. I never forget to say my prayers before I go to sleep at night. I share my faith with others. I hope you do too. And be grateful for what the Lord does for you, because He does a lot. I can't, I can't, I can't imagine going through life without my my Jesus. Thanks, Anne. I'm grateful to the pastor for having me share. And if you have any questions, I'll try to answer them. Well, I'm grateful to, for, to you for saying yes to, to my request to share, because I appreciate it. Um, Gary and Joanna, uh, you were both married and divorced before marrying each other. 
what did you learn through that experience about um, life and maybe how to deal with, uh, with a former mate? Um, that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, are you sitting here thinking? Gary, never. We use the mic just so people at home can hear you. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, I was just sitting here thinking. Uh, I can't remember ever hearing my name and wisdom used in the same sentence. <laughs> and it, it, you know, it makes me feel good. Thank you. <clears throat> but anyway, uh, yeah, you know, we would be here for hours, you know, trying to explain our relationship, uh, you know, with our exes. Yeah. But during the process, you know, of divorce, now Joanna's different. Joanna's husband just deserted her and her children. And we have very seldom ever seen him, and uh, which is a good thing. And, uh, but, you know, with my ex, we were very cordial and we, we you know, we mutually raised the, our children. And I think it's hard to explain it, how it happened, but Joanna has two, I have two, and then we had our youngest, Jimmy. And it was at that point that the relationships of the children really took on new meaning. He was kind of a cohesion for the, for the other kids. You know, the little brother, and he brought all the kids together. Now, see, I learned in the military that, that <laughs> you know, if you want your people to unite, you give them a common enemy. And that was me. And <laughs> But anyway, we, you know, uh, our exes never did give us, we never had any problems with them, actually. So, um, um, when we got married, uh, my son was five years old, my youngest little boy, and um, he had never lived with his father. He had not spent one day with his natural father. So Gary was the dad. And um, our daughter was, my daughter was 11, and she needed a dad too. So he did a good job. <laughs> yeah. And um, I selfishly was glad that um, my first husband didn't really have anything to do with the children. But later on, I realized um, that that really wasn't good, especially for our son because he suffered greatly, especially when he was uh, an older teen. Yeah. So we've, uh, but we, you know, God, he is so good. We didn't know that we were going to have a son together, but he has been a true blessing for the whole family. And um, so God is good. That's good. I'm going to come back to you guys on the on the kids. Um, Paul, hey Paul, 
Uh, you served the church for many years. What are some lessons that you learned through that experience about uh, this church in particular? And what pitfalls would you hope that we avoid in the future? Well, I'm going to maybe speak that from a little broader area. Um, I never went to seminary to become a pastor. I was not interested in becoming a pastor. Uh, when I went to seminary, I had only one thing on my mind, and that was to understand the Word of God. And so through kind of a radical salvation, what God did is he put a brochure in my hand that advertised Talbot Theological Seminary. And I looked at all the Bible courses, and I said, I want to go there. So I quit my work and went there. Um, through it all, I got involved um, in a church that became a rather large church. And uh, as that church grew, it had certain philosophies in it that have colored my life even to uh, the point when I was ministering here. And, and one of the bottom line um, points of view that was expressed to me that I learned, not because somebody told me, but because I saw it. And I call it the spontaneous expansion of the church. And it really, it really centers around 1 Corinthians 3. Uh, when it centers around 1 Corinthians 3, the, the Corinthian church was a divided church, and Paul came and asked it some very pointed questions. He, he said, why are you so divided? It was you, were you baptized in my name? Uh, and then he made these statements. He said, I planted Apollos watered, but it was God who caused the growth. And so from that point of view, what I learned is that the church is God's. It is he who causes the growth. It is he who wants the expansion of this church. And, and it is he who is going to direct it. And, and the way that he does it is through the gifts of the people. Uh, the gifts that he has given by the Spirit of God uh, to the body of Christ. There is no ministry, as far as I can tell, that really takes place without the Spirit of God in it. You can't have ministry by which it is that you direct it in the sense of you say you're going to do it, it's yours, it's, but it's not. It's the Lord's, and it's what he wants to do. And so because of that, um, what I learned in that is that there has to be room for failure. Um, one, of the, one of the things that um, my pastor did for all of us that were on staff, and we were all young, very young seminarians at the time, is he gave us room to fail. And that was okay, as long as you didn't live in the failure nor stay there. But you learned from your failure, and you picked up from your failure. And the result of it is, is that that in that, what you could begin to see is where the Spirit of God wanted to work. Because what he was doing is, is that he was, he was lifting up various areas, and, and when you saw the blessing of God on it, then the whole body of Christ would gravitate to make that grow. And they would, they would push it um, to the glory of God. And there was times in which it was that we recognized that God would say, in that blessing, it's through and you move on. And so God grew the church. He grew it from a couple of hundred to about 7,000. And, and uh, 
it was quite an experience to do that, and it was a worldwide experience. What it did is it opened up my eyes to the fact that God is ministering all around the world, and he's ministering in different forms in different ways. So um, those, those, there I learned to uh, very much to pray. I learned what elders did. Um, the, it was interesting to watch our elders work. They had one man assigned to each one of us as a staff member. And then, <clears throat> but what the elders did is the elders' full-time work was to implement what they heard in the sermons. They would hear what God was saying through the man who God had chosen to lead the church, and then they would try to figure out ways to implement it. And what that did is it just made things thrive. It made things grow. And because of uh, my pastor's ability to speak and to declare the Word of God, what happened is the Word of God became very ingrained within us. And, and the Word of God was the key to everything that it was that we did and everything the way that we thought. So the result of that is, is that about 10 years uh, ministering there, um, I learned to pray with a man individually. And he came back from the mission field and he said, I have the perfect place for you. And I said, I don't want to go anywhere. <laughs> so um, I'd ended up, I ended up overseas ministering for seven years, working behind the Iron Curtain. And when I was working behind the Iron Curtain, uh, I ran into a huge problem. And the problem was this. I was so cultivated in what I believed. And I was working because of the, denom because of the aspects of what was going on in these different countries uh, with groups of people who didn't think and think theology like I thought theology. They didn't agree with everything that I spoke. Now, how do you go in and minister to a group of people in different countries, in different situations, whether Roman Catholic, Greek Orthodox, Presbyterian, Charismatic, Baptist, Independents, Fundamentals? How do you go into those places and how do you converse with them when they don't think the way that you think? And so I asked the Lord that. It almost drove me to come home from the from the mission field. And uh, he said this to me, he said, if I show you their heart and their heart is after me, can you work with them? So um, that became a real turning point for me in terms of the breadth of ministry. And I was taught you take care of the depth and God will take care of the breadth of ministry. And so <clears throat> what happened is I began to be able to cross denominational lines. And I was able to minister with different people. And, and the result of that is, is that when you come back to the United States, it makes you look weak. Because what it says is you don't have any foundational, firm foundation to stand on. And that's not true. You do not give up your fundamentals to enter into dialogue with those whom you are ministering to who do not think with you, but you learn to listen to them, you learn to respect them, you learn to listen what God has done within them, and you appreciate the gifts that God has placed within them and among them. So um, when I came home, uh, my pastor asked if I wanted to come back on, on staff, and uh, I said no because I knew what this would do is it would create conflict in the church. 
and I didn't feel like I was to come back and create conflict in the church. So um, when I came here, um, the, the early uh, life of this church uh, is associated with GARB, General Association of Regular Baptists, which is an extremely conservative branch of American Baptists. And so when I came here, I knew I was in for troubles in a way. Um, there was, there would, there would result would be is that there would be certain amount of conflict. But I came with the idea of the spontaneous expansion of the church and for a, for a while there was that. But in all cases, what happens is this, the devil's greatest tool is division and divisiveness. And we saw this, I even saw this back at, at my foundational church because we had a staff meeting that was called Black Tuesday. Um, and on that day, half the staff were lost because we ended up in disagreement with one another as to how the church should operate from here on out, what should be the purpose, what should be the goals. It was in conflict with the lead pastor. And the result of that is, is that many of the men were scattered. I happened to be sent to the mission field at that time, so I missed all of that. But when I came back from the mission field, there were so many people hurt that people didn't care what was happening on the mission field. All they cared about was, will you talk to me about this hurt? And so um, I talked with them about their hurt, their pain, ministered to them, and, and uh, so when that, that happened here, and part of the reason that it happened here was because of this crossing denominational lines. Um, in the crossing of denominational lines, uh, one of the things that I've always done is found a man that I could uh, pray with, whatever section of the ministry or time of the ministry that I was in. It was very important to me also to disciple that man. Well, so I asked God for one here, and one came up and he was charismatic belonged to a different church, and he was a pastor. But he had zero education. God had called him out of what he was in. And so he was sharing that one day in, in a meeting that, where we, that I was at. I happened to hear him. And he was saddened over the fact that he had no education. So I walked up to him and I said, I have a lot of education. Would you like some of it? So we began to batter it out. I mean, you could hear us down the hallways kind of yelling at each other. You know, as we, if you walk by the room where we were at, you know, it was that loud uh, as we were discussing theology and different things. But it was, it was never with anger. It was never with bitterness. It was always with a razor sharpening, uh, iron sharpening iron and, and that type of thinking. And <clears throat> through it all, what happened is for me is that this place became a place where I learned the power of God. Um, I saw the power of God in the Word of God in the previous places that I have been. But I saw the power of God working in the lives of people here as well as in my own life as well as in the life of my family. And, and um, that was something that I hunted. Uh, I went to Mozambique uh, just to experience it and I saw ears open, I saw eyes that were blind that became able to see. Uh, I saw a lot of things in terms of people who were abused, healed. I saw all of these things and so um, that, that took on a, a place where I had to rethink through church. 
and what it was. And when I rethought through church and what it was, what I saw was that when the, apostle, when the apostles described it, especially when Paul describes it in Romans 15, he describes it as word and deed. You have to have both of those. It is the word that keeps you in order, and it is the deeds of God that is expressed through his people which make it attractive to the world. And, and when you begin to, to realize that attraction, you, you realize that the loss of either one of those sides is a huge loss in the body of Christ. If you lose the word of God, you lose your way. If you lose the power of God, you become ingrown. It's just about you, it's about your life, it's about what you do and how happy you are. Um, but it's very interesting that when, when in the book of Ephesians, when Paul talks about the church, he talks about it as a temple. He talks about it within us individually that we are temples, but it's also a corporate temple. And, and when you see that we are to host God, that's what church to me is. We host God. We host him first in our soul and in our life. We host him in a corporate manner. But then the scripture says is that he gave gifts to the body of Christ. And when he gave those gifts to the body of Christ, that is the release of his deeds. That is the release of his ministry that, that goes out. So through time, a lot of that came into conflict. Uh, a part of it was is that there were also failures on my part. Um, when I look at back at ministry and I see some of the things, I went, that was my failure. That was my fault. That was my error. But if you really have the sensitivity of God and you really want to work through that, you can work through that and you can come out stronger. So um, those were some of the lessons that I learned. Wow. Great lessons. Really good. In fact, I found myself, though, as you were speaking, wanting to uh, interact, but I'm, but I'm glad you just got to speak because that was, that was great. All right, coming back over to Dan and Jen. Um, you guys have experienced loss in your life. What encouragement would you give to someone who is either experiencing loss or maybe is fearful of experiencing loss? <clears throat> well, I don't know. That that's a that's a tough one. Um, the the loss that you're speaking of was. Uh, um, the boy that we lost, um, but a lot of people don't probably even know that, but we had lost several um, babies prior to that. Um, two for sure. Um, we're not sure about a third possibly, but anyway, so that was a pretty dark time, you know, laying, holding my wife as she cries at night, wondering what's wrong with her. Um, so um, at the time, you know, God just kind of told us that yeah, but your family isn't done. And uh, so it's the only time I ever called the elder board over and I said, I need you to pray over my family because this is bigger than I can handle myself. So um, I've never been quite so frightened in my life as when Jennifer got pregnant with Ben. Um, I was just terrified for the entire time because we had lost so much and uh, so I guess for me um, 
It was just about obedience because, you know, I was supposed to have faith and not worry, <laughs> but I was terrified. And I, I couldn't really get over that, but I also knew that, that God was going to be faithful. And he's been faithful in my family for many, many generations. And that, uh, and that uh, if I didn't have the faith, God would just provide that for me and for my wife. And um, so um, I guess just knowing that I don't think God took that son away for a reason. I think that's just kind of part of this, the fallen earth that we have. Um, I've heard people say, oh, well, why did that happen? I, I don't know, but I know that God blesses despite that. And I've seen some changes in family and friends that, that got to see us walk through that tough time. And, uh, and I've seen a lot of blessing in that, you know, I mean, obviously, um, it's a bummer that Clark doesn't have a, a kid that would be graduating from high school with him right now, but at the same token, without that, we probably wouldn't have been. And, and, uh, and it's, it's helped me as a, as a teacher, and, and I know my wife as well as we've walked through that, because I have been able to show grace and, and love to some students that I've had that are experiencing loss and trauma in their lives that I would not be able to you know, help them in the way that I can. So, I mean, I don't really know still why God allowed that to happen, but you know, I just had to kind of trust that uh, he will bless lives through the, the valley that we went through. So, um, as I was thinking about this question, there's a lot that I felt like I could share. Um, but what kept coming up is just, hold on to the truth. Um, Diane, my sister-in-law Diane and I have talked about this a lot because she was really mad for me. You know, like, this is not fair. And I just kept thinking, you know, why not me? <laughs> you know, it's not, I think because God was giving me that grace to go through it. And um, I think where I drew my strength are my, <laughs> my mirror verses. <laughs> and um, the one thing that kept me um, continually coming back to him was studying his word, reading it, praying it. I had a um, friend, Peggy Witten, who had been through something very similar, tell me to pray the Psalms, not the nice ones, you know, where people are happy and praising, but the, the ugly ones where people are upset and, and sad and um, pray those out loud. And I thought, oh gosh, I'll try it. And um, that was something that I'll never forget, that, um, you know, pouring out your heart to God like that, and then at the end it always comes back to, but God, you're faithful, and God, you're holy. This is how I feel, but this is who you are still, God. And um, so just, I um, brought some of my mirror verses. <laughs> um, it was just neat to every morning get up and see those on the mirror um, in the bathroom and just to be able to meditate on them and remind myself of that truth because there are quite a few times that I forgot <laughs> those truths and that I forgot about God's goodness. And um, so like one of them is um, Lamentations 3, 21 through 26. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, which sometimes it feels like you will be. <laughs> um, 
for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. Um, the Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And I just, that was just one of them. Um, so I guess my, I guess another thing that I would say, um, and Dan kind of touched on it, is look for how God is um, working in the middle of loss. Um, I feel like it was a gift that I could see it. You know, I could, he, just along the way, there are these, those things that um, I could see how God was taking care of us, or I could see how God um, put something in our way at just the right time, or, you know, I didn't think about the ramifications of what was going on till later. I thought that was a blessing, you know, um, that... Um, even two years later, that it's just so much bigger than us. Even two years later, someone wrote us a letter saying, um, I just want to tell you how you going through Max's death and how all that um, affected my life. And I just thought, gosh, it's even like, try and look out. You know, that was my, something that I've learned is, and I think you were kind of touching on that, like look out beyond yourself because it's, it wasn't just us that were learning and um, growing and becoming um, more intimate with him, I never even dreamed that it would have um, helped other people too. And so just in the midst of that, look for his um, provision and look for his blessing because it's there and I just even pray for it if you're not seeing it because um, sometimes it is hard to see. <laughs> and we're going to come back to you because you shared a little bit about the loss of your husband, but I'm going to come back to you with another question here in a second. Gary and Joanna, um, you started talking about your kids and coming together and trying to blend together as a family. That, I'm sure, was not an easy thing to experience, uh, learning how to parent kids that aren't yours biologically. And um, how, what did you learn through that process? Well, I can't speak for her right now. She'll speak for herself. But I... I learned that how inadequate I was in spite of thinking I had all the answers, you know. Uh, you know, our kids did come together, but that doesn't mean everything went well. You know, I had kid, you know, my oldest son on, had drug problems for a lot of years, you know, and the middle one did too. And my daughter had problems with, or my, her, Joanna's daughter had problems with the desertion of her father. She still has to this day. Yeah. She has tremendous issues with that. Yeah. And that has affected her life. She's managing, but um, you know, I don't care what they, well, I do care what they say, <laughs> but divorce is damaging. Divorce damages people. And my, my uh, advice to anybody who's contemplating divorcing is think about it. Don't quit. Don't quit on it. Don't give it up so easy. You know, my fam her, Joanna's family was a very strong Irish Catholic family from back east, and they had 
Irish Italian, excuse me. <laughs> and very strong, very close, very loving family. My family was disjointed. You know, they were they were dysfunctional for all intents and purposes. Yeah. You know, and my parents, it was if you didn't like it, get out. So I did. Yeah. You know, and that when you enter into a second marriage, those things play on you. And when you're dealing with children, those things surface. And, um, but now I can say, through the Lord, it's all about the Lord. The Lord is what has, has brought us through it. The Lord, is, and the Lord has stayed with us through all these years and, and has, has helped us overcome some issues as in actuality. He has overcome issues in our lives. And we, we didn't quit. There were, there were times when we wanted to quit. There was times when, when Joanna, you know, had every right to quit on me, but she didn't do that, you know. And, and as far as our children go, uh, they're not perfect. They've got their problems. They still have some issues they have to work with. But they're all employed. <laughs> hey, that's a plus. <laughs> they're all employed and upstanding citizens, you know. And, and, uh, and they're happy and they love each other. Yeah. I wish they were all saved. It's a way we can be praying for you guys. So um, I got to raise two, or half-time raise, our his oldest son, Jay. I met him when he was eight years old. And then Renee at 17. And they are two of the most beautiful. I, I can't, I have to give the glory to God because they are, love me. They love me, and I'm a stepmom. <laughs> so I'm pretty blessed for that. And um, so what happened with our children was the boys, the two boys, just became the best buddies. They had the best time in Manton, California. You can't believe they were in the creeks. They were all over the place. Everybody knew them, and they took care of them. And it was a good place to raise the, that family. Our, his oldest daughter would come. Um, and she just loved her dad. The, his kids loved him. And um, so I was finding myself competing with this 17-year-old girl. It's not easy to be a step-parent. But yeah. you know what? It's not easy to be a parent. It's, it's a big job. And, uh, but we are so grateful. We know that God has blessed us way beyond what we deserve. And um, I know that life in the church has helped us. And Pastor Paul being our teacher was amazing. And also um, being in the choir with Pastor Mark, was all, I count it all joy. I count it all joy. So it's been a wonderful church. And we came in um, to this church after getting saved in the Manton Church. We came here. It's been, it has been mostly a honeymoon. 
It's been very, very good. So, but raising our children, it wasn't easy, but we still, now we're the grandparents. Um, how many do we have? We have 13, and we have one great-grandson. Wow. So we are, um, and they are just, one of the other blessings we have is that they're all I had a brother who had cerebral palsy mostly brain damage, so I know that that's been a huge gift, totally of the Lord. Yeah. So, anything else? That's great. That's it. Um, Paul, you, you alluded uh, to this, but you lost your wife many years ago now. What did God teach you through that time? Yeah, I lost my wife in uh, 2011. Um, I approach what I learned in it from the point of view of what marriage is. And uh, what I say is that marriage isn't for sissies. <laughs> nor is it either for Hallmark fans. It just doesn't work that way. Why not? I don't know. <laughs> um, it's hard work, uh, it's love, it's care for your spouse, um, it's willing to work through mistakes and hurt that you do to one another. And um, what that means is this, is that if a marriage lasts, it's growth. It's growth into oneness, it's growth into a unity. And um, when that takes place over a long period of time, um, separation doesn't come easy, uh, which is what it is. It's really an interruption to that whole process, death is. I don't like death. I don't agree with death. I fight death. Um, and I pray against it. So uh, when, it, when it came to that year of my wife dying, there were certain things that happened within the last 10 years that were extremely crucial to that. Um, in 2000, around the year 2000, um, she went through a, a personal crisis that I think I've figured out. I don't know if I have totally figured it out, but she became alcoholic. And I had police on my doorsteps twice uh, wanting to arrest her because she would take a pint of whiskey and down it all at one time. And then <clears throat> she would drive and come home. And so uh, the result of that is, is that I shared some of this when I found it out. I didn't know it at the first. Um, but when I found it out, I shared it with my kids. And so my kids were uh, tremendous help in ministering back into her life. And the result of it was, is because of the ministry that I had learned here with my charismatic friend, it re actually set me up to be able to be in that position where I watched my wife's freedom come instantaneously, and she went from that alcoholic to non-alcoholic in one moment. Uh, God just entered in and intervened. And she saw, she was, what had happened with her is that uh, when she was extremely young, a young child, is that 
there was a cult within the larger family of her family, and it abused her. And so all of that stuff, what happens is, is that there's a separation that goes on when cults do different things to people. And uh, when, when, it, when it isn't kept up because they couldn't have access to her, when it wasn't kept up, there's a breaking down of it. And so a lot of the issues arise and come back on you. Um, they are, their memories, their issues, their, it's condemnation, it's guilt, it's shame, it's all these things that, that came. And coupled with that and some other things, it drove her into that crisis. But just like that, she came out of it because God entered in to that place where she needed to be healed. So when, when that happened, um, there was a step up in our growth together, uh, in our growing together. And then um, a number of years later, she came down with COPD. I don't know if you know what COPD is, but it's a heart and lung issue, by which it is that you slowly just life kind of goes away. And so it was getting to the point where if I wanted to take her out, she loved to shop. If I wanted to take her out, I had to take her out in a wheelchair. Um, when she would come home, she would be in bed by 5, 6 o'clock because she couldn't breathe, she couldn't get the air, she couldn't do those types of things. And so um, because of, of the time over the years that God had taught me uh, about prayer, um, there are specified times in which it is that I still maintain. And we were away with a group of men, and... Um, he prayed some things over me, and it was such a joyful day, I wanted to come home and just share those with my wife and with my daughter, who was at home at the time. And so I came home, uh, prayed for them. Nothing happened, and my daughter left, and we were out in the kitchen. And as we were out in the kitchen, um, she turned to me, and she said, I think I want to go home to be with the Lord. And um, she's a short little gal. She's only five foot tall, so... I just took her in my arms and I prayed this great prayer over her. I just grabbed her and I said, no, that was my prayer, can't have her. Um, and when I said no, um, she went limp in my arms. And um, when she went limp in my arms, I looked down at her and her face had a glow all around it that was not normal. It was something that was beautiful. And I looked at her and I said, you're healed. And she was kind of a, a, a fiery little girl. And she looked up at me and she said, don't let go, I'll fall. <laughs> so I carried her over to the kitchen chair and I sat her down. And the next day we threw her medications away. We threw the wheelchair away. Uh, she was up at 5 o'clock. She was going to bed at 9 o'clock at night. It, it did something to her inner man, and it rejuvenated her spirit. And so she was in the Word constantly. And I thought, oh my, these later years are going to be glorious. Uh, I, was, I took her over to the coast, um, probably had the greatest church that I've ever had, just her and I, as we um, centered it around the Lord's table. And uh, I, I was just enraptured in, in all of that. And uh, about a year and a half, two years later, we, uh, we were at a conference, and she said, I, I just don't feel well. Will you go get a seat? So I, I left, and when we came home, 
uh, she was diagnosed with esophageal cancer. Um, and the words that the doctor, after he proved the test, came out and he said, this is going to be a tough road for you both. And it was. Um, so uh, at that time, uh, the elders released me really in many ways. She wanted me to keep preaching at church, which I did. Um, but other than that, generally speaking, I was with her. And so I was taking her to doctor's appointments. Uh, I was praying at the top of the stairs because I was taking her down a wheelchair of 14 steps uh, in that wheelchair by myself. And uh, there's just a big wall at the end of the steps. And I'd say to the Lord every time I would take her down those steps, Lord, please don't let me let go. Please give me the strength to hold on to her. So, um, what, what, what happened is, is that um, she was healed, literally, of the esophageal cancer. Uh, that was gone. I have pictures of it. It's, it's just not there. Uh, but, but what happened is, is that in the cancer that she had, it bled over into her lung and went down her left side. And so um, she loved water, loved to swim. Uh, we put an uh, above-ground pool for her, and one day she came walking in from the pool and she couldn't walk anymore, and the cancer had taken over the left side. So we knew at that point that um, things weren't looking good, so what we did is we went around just to different places and we asked people to pray. Uh, I took her to different um, places where I thought that there would be the possibility that God might step in and intervene with healing. And uh, he chose not to do that. And so um, what I said to God is this. I said, Lord, if I see that and know that you are taking her, then I will let go. But if I don't see that, I'm going to pound on your footsteps until you raise her from the dead. <laughs> and I actually made a pact with that with, uh, with my friend that we were going to pray her out of the dead, which I don't know if it would have happened or not. But anyway... It was what my concept was of, of not letting her go. And so um, on the week that she was to die, uh, you could, she, she reached the point where she couldn't speak anymore. And um, when she couldn't speak anymore, um, she was just in bed. Uh, we'd have to get her up. I couldn't carry her, so I'd wheelchair her to the bathroom. We'd, take care of all the amenities. That's one of the things that you learn is how to really serve your wife in all of this. And because of that, I speak of those days as some of the greatest days of our marriage because it was not her serving me so that I could do the work of the Lord. It was me serving her and found out that this is the type of love that God expects all along that a husband would show his wife, uh, that you would really just love her unconditionally as Christ has unconditionally loved us. So um, on the day that, uh, there's more to the story, but on the day that she, uh, a night that she passed away, um, she was laying in bed and um, to, to be honest, because you, you don't know what's gonna be, she uh, began to breathe water because what was happening is her lungs, she was drowning in her lungs. Uh, they were flooding. And so when she would breathe, water would come out. And uh, 
So I told the kids that were there, I said, you guys go to bed and I'll stay with your mom. So I, I, when they left, I laid down beside her in the bed. And um, because it was on her left side and the side that I slept on, she liked to have that side rubbed um, just to ease the pain. And, and what was happening in that moment was is that there was something going on in the heavenlies, and um, I call it an Abrahamic sleep, because it was a sleep that I have not known except one other time uh, in my life, and it's a deep sleep. It, it's a sleep that, that, that you just can't explain. Uh, and, and, and the result of it was is that um, slowly, after a period of time, I came out of that sleep and I recognized this room is freezing. And this is in August here in Red Bluff. <laughs> and it's uh, probably over 100 degrees out at night. And so I'm freezing and, and I, I, uh, I said as I'm waking up, I've got to cover up my wife. I've got to cover up my wife. And it took everything that I had to to cover up my wife, and as I picked up the covers and reached over, I looked at her, and I yelled out to the kids, and I said, she's gone, and as soon as I yelled out that she's gone, the cold swept through the room, left the room, and she was with the Lord. Now, people ask, what was that coldness? Because most of the times when people talk about phenomenon with God, they talk about heat, and so you have to explain the coldness. Well, um, through the phenomena that was expressed in the week prior to her dying, what I, what I really believe, and I'm going to find out when I get to heaven, um, is I believe that the Lord sent her a chariot. And, and, a, and a chariot in the scriptures, the Lord rides a chariot. If you've studied Ezekiel 1, he rides a chariot. But that chariot is covered with clouds, and in the clouds it's cool. Because you can't take the fullness of the presence of God in the cloud because uh, there is fire all around his throne and so there's something that has to be to cool it in order for men to encounter it. And, and so um, when, when that happened what I, told the what I told my children was is that I really believe that God came through, he sent an angel with his chariot, picked up her spirit and uh, took her home. And so, uh, because of that, I, I called my friend and I said, don't come. Don't come. I said, the Lord took her. And, um, excuse me. So anyway, um, the psalm, there was the... The healer of the heart was Psalm 145, and I, you can read it sometime if you want. And that's where I'm at today. All right, we are pretty much out of time, but maybe just quickly, I'd really like to ask you each this last question, which is, how would you like to be remembered when you're gone? Start with Anne. How would you like to be remembered when you're gone, Anne? I would like to be remembered as a person who cares for others and wants to share the love of the Lord. Too many people are just 
walking every day with no goals in life, with no one like the Lord to help him get through ordeals. I'm so grateful that I knew the Lord as a young person so that when ordeals came up, I could go to him and talk to him. He's there for us every single day. Losing Bob was not only hard for me, but for the children. We all loved him so much, and he did things for us. He was an excellent husband and father. And I'd like to remember what he did for us so we could carry on the rest of the life without him. It was so sudden that he just sat in a folding chair in the garage and went to be with the Lord. He was not even ill. And then to lose Annette in a car accident, that was horrendous. She had everything going for her in college. She was engaged to a fine young man that went to Chico College. And Lori had multiple talents, made cards, made jewelry, and she had a bubbly personality. Everybody enjoyed being with her. And I thank the Lord for the family that he gave me. And that family, the thoughts of that family helped to keep me going today. I love to be with people. I love to help people. I've been in a business where I had to help and train many women. I'd like to be remembered as a person that cares for others and wants to help others. Too many people don't know what their goals are in life. And also to pick a Bible verse that you claim as your verse. I'm very fond of several Bible verses. I especially like Philippians 1.21. On my daughter's headstone, we have a Bible verse. I have lots of memories. And I can still stand today and not crumble. I met Bob working at a theater similar to the one here downtown. I think I murmured under my breath, that young man's going to be the father of my children someday. <laughs> I think I said that. I'm not sure. <laughs> and he came from a wonderful family. I have so much to be grateful for. I hope that in your thinking, to think back of all the things that you're grateful for and not just wallow in your sorrows. You have lots of people praying for each one of you. You're a friend to everybody. I'm very comfortable in this church. I've had to live lots of places because of Bob's work down in Imperial Valley after being a person that lived in a big city, Chicago, and then Los Angeles. But I, because of being with Bob, I got through things. Because of having the Lord, we always found our church right away when we moved to a new city. 
And that's where you find the Lord working with you and you find your friends. And I'm very grateful. Well, we're grateful to have you, Anne. And I know we'll, we'll definitely remember your love and your joy um, and your relationship with the Lord will definitely be highlights I know from, from living with you, being with you. Um, how about you guys? How would you like to remember when you're gone? I know, way down the road for you guys, right? <laughs> um, what keeps going through my head is I just want, um, and I think about this, that the people at my work are, are my mission field, um, just like a lot of other places, but I want to be remembered as when, when people think of me, I want them to think of... Um, of God and, and who he is in their life and glorifying him. I just want, I don't want them to think about, wow, she was a nice person or um, she did a lot of nice things for people or um, wow, wasn't she sweet? You know, I, I, want to, I want them to know why I am the way I am. <laughs> Yikes. Um, I don't know. Kind of mixed a couple of things. I mean, you know, the the Bible talks a lot about blessings flowing from one generation to another. And so looking back to um, many of the struggles that Grandma and Grandpa Penner had with his Parkinson's for many years, it just, to me, I guess I just hope that I could live up to the legacy that was laid out. I, I don't have any excuses about bad parenting or anything like that, like some people do. I just, I guess I hope that I can live up to the, uh, the example of the generation, uh, generations plural above me. Um, and, and like my wife, I, I do feel like, like at, at school, there's, public schools get a lot of bad rap out there. They just do. But I feel like as a Christian there, I hope that that's, what I get to be is just an example of God's love to um, to those people. I, I can't preach, but I can I can show God's love and and uh, try to breathe life into a lot of pain that exists. And I just hope that uh, you know someday, looking back, people would remember that I was an example of God's grace in a world that didn't have a lot. Gary? You know, guys seem to like, to like to view themselves as being strong and faultless. I think when I die, I'd kind of like to be remembered as being kind oh. to people. You know, oh. treating people the way they should be treated. It's hard. It's been hard for me over the years. Treated a lot of people kind of unkindly over the years. I'd like that to be the difference. And I remember, I know now that, you know, at my age, what's that? About buying green bananas? I don't buy any. It's an old adage. I don't buy green bananas anymore because I might not live long enough to watch them ripen or something <laughs> like that. But anyway, uh, yeah, that's the way I'd like to be remembered. It's being kind and honest to people. Yeah. Yeah. Right. 
Well, I'm thankful um, that God completes the work, you know, that he promises. He says when we are born again, we are a new creation, but then he promises to complete the work. So um, I had, a, my mother had Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS, and she was so gracious and had, even though she couldn't speak, um, God, God let, allowed her to write for a long time, and she was filled with grace. I hope that I'm as gracious as she is, I hope. <laughs> so, that's it. All right. Paul? Uh, I answered this question years ago for myself. I don't know if it will be true or not, um, but it was based on John 17:3. Eternal life is knowing God. And so my passion was to know God. And I would, it would be a great if my family, at least, um, would understand that he was a man who knew God. Well, thank you guys for, for sharing. I know this wasn't easy for a lot of you guys, but thanks for doing that. Let me pray for us and we'll be done. Lord, um, Thank you so much for, um, for this body that you've knit together, that you've placed every single uh, one of us here um, for your purposes. Thank you for um, that there just is a lot of, of wisdom here at this church, and there's a lot of wisdom here on this stage. Um, thank you so much for um, allowing that to be shared this morning. I pray that you would... Um, you would do the work in our lives that, that you intend with the wisdom that was shared, and that we would be people that listen to wisdom, that we would be um, people that don't have to always learn the hard way on things, but that can, um, can see those who um, have walked the road uh, before us and, uh, and imitate their, um, their life. And uh, thank you for these uh, examples on, on stage this morning of, of lives to be imitated. Um, and that's all because of who you are and uh, the work that you've been doing in each one of their lives. I pray this all in your name. Amen.